0: This is Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show, a recent investigation revealed that New Orleans Sewerage and Water Board falsified water testing data. Reporter for the Louisiana Illuminator, Matt McBride, joins us for more. And the Baton Rouge-based Pan String Quartet is helping young aspiring musicians with a unique concert on the North Shore. But first... Turo Infirmary in New Orleans recently launched a new program to offer free postpartum visits to anyone who gives birth at the hospital. Advocates of this initiative see it as one way to address Louisiana's high rates of maternal and infant mortality. Reporter Josie Abugov covered this story for Verite News. She joined Louisiana Considered's managing producer,
1: Alana Schreiber, for more.
2: So whose idea was this, and how did this program really get off the ground?
1: So the program called Family Connects New Orleans uses a model by nonprofit Family Connects International, which has programs across 19 states. And over the summer, Mayor LaToya Cantrell and the health department announced that the city would be using $1.5 million in American Rescue Act dollars, Rescue Plan Act dollars or federal pandemic relief funds. To fund this program for three years, at least, um, Cantrell said that she hoped the program would extend beyond that. And it's intended to um, it was intended to take off at Toro and Ashner this fall. And so far, it started at Toro a few weeks ago.
2: Incredible. Well, how exactly does it work? Who does the at home visitations? How often are these families visited? And what do the sessions look like?
1: Yeah. So every person who gives birth at the hospital is eligible to up to three free at-home nurse visits, or at a neutral location like a service facility. And the visits begin about three weeks postpartum, and they include a health ins- assessment of the infant and the parent, as well as a home a home assessment. The nurses can connect families with hundreds of city city and statewide agencies and provide assistance. That's a lot more expansive than what you might normally think of as um, postpartum health. For instance, uh, the nurse manager at Toro, who I spoke to, Catherine Autry, who's overseeing the program, shared that on a recent visit, she registered a new mom for food assistance.
2: That's great. Well, I know that one goal of this program is to help address Louisiana's high rates of maternal and infant mortality, specifically for Black parents. How is this program addressing that problem, and can at-home visits really make a difference?
1: Yeah. So, as you said, Louisiana has some of the highest rates of maternal and infant mortality in the country, and Black people who give birth are four times as likely to die of pregnancy-related deaths than White people, um, according to Family Connects. Their model has been proven to to reduce the chance of emergency room visits and hospital overnight stays during the first year of the infant's life, and mothers were less likely to report postpartum anxiety. And advocates for the program also discussed the importance of home visits in a more holistic way to understand the patient's entire circumstances, address possible instances of domestic violence, for instance, or mental health concerns, um, as was the case with the parent who needed food assistance to help out in a number of ways that will affect the child and the parents.
2: Well, I know that New Orleans, like many cities in the U.S., currently has a nursing shortage. How is this impacting the program currently and is there anything being done about it?
1: Yeah, so based on my conversations with Catherine Autry, the nurse shortage seemed to be already influencing this program. Toro had allocated three nurses in addition to Autry's role as clinical manager, but as of publication time, there was only one other person accompanying Autry, and the two other positions do not have, have any applicants. Autry said the hospital is working really hard to recruit people for the jobs, but the nursing shortage as well as the specific job requirements of the home visit program makes has made that difficult.
2: Well, I know you spent a lot of time speaking with Autry, really the spearhead behind this whole program. What does she think are some of the biggest benefits of at home outpatient visits as opposed to hospital visits?
1: Yeah. And. I think she said to me early on that when she was um, a NICU nurse for a long time, she always wanted to go back and um, follow the patient's home, as she said, and give them more additional support. And um, she said that this program really allows her to do just that. Um, She said to me that at home visits, you have a more intimate relationship with the patient because you're in their home. And In a hospital setting, the nurses and the doctors, they're the experts. And in the home, it's the patient, and they're the expert of their environment. And so you're able to give them help and assistance um, looking in a holistic way, but also in a way that really gives them a lot of um, autonomy.
2: Definitely. I had never even thought about it like that, but it makes a ton of sense. Well, according to Autry and to anyone else you spoke with, where do they see this program going? I know it's the early days, but where do they see this really taking off?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they want to expand the program across the state. Um, the manager of the New Orleans um, of Family Connects New Orleans broadly said that the goal is to make this a statewide program across the state where um, other where there are other um high rates of maternal and infant mortality in especially in some of the rural areas with less access to medical care. They're doing research in Baton Rouge and in Ruston right now to work on expanding the program. And I think they want to make it accessible for um, everyone who gives birth in this state.
2: Josie Abagoff is a reporter for Verite News. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. A recent investigation into the New Orleans Sewerage and Water Board found that workers falsified drinking water testing results. According to the findings, up to five employees did not make all the stops they are supposed to in order to ensure the city's drinking water is up to par. This is leaving residents and regulators wondering if the reported results about the water quality are even true. Matt McBride has been investigating this for the Louisiana Illuminator, and he joins us now for more. Matt, thanks for being here.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, Matt, can you start by telling us how these drinking water tests are supposed to go? What is supposed to happen here? And where did these employees go wrong?
3: These tests are required by federal and state regulations to ensure uh, two things, that there is adequate disinfectant in the water to kill dangerous pathogens and that there aren't any pathogens actually growing in the water. Um, Where they went wrong was they didn't actually take those samples in a number of uh, locations.
0: So how did you discover that employees were skipping stops, not visiting all of the houses that they were supposed to?
3: We obtained both the information that's submitted by the and Water Board to the state to uh, verify their testing compliance, and also the GPS data used by the samplers when they drive around to each of these stops. There's about a few hundred stops required every month on both the East Bank and West Bank total. So on average, on the East Bank, there'd be about 10 to 12 stops per day, and on the West Bank, about four stops per day, um, depending on the type of sample being taken. So we correlated the GPS results for seven months from December of 2022 to June of 2023 with the information that was provided to the state and found numerous discrepancies.
0: So how much data was misreported as, uh, as a result of this? And how many houses were skipped and how many records were falsified?
3: Well, what we found was out of the 1,926 stops that were supposed to have occurred, about 150 didn't. So that's about 8%. The total number of addresses skipped was 99.
0: And why is this such a big deal?
3: These regulations are in place to ensure that water is safe throughout the entire distribution system if certain stops aren't made and if data is uh, submitted as if it were then we can't know whether there was adequate chlorine or whether there was microbial growth at that location because we don't have water from that location (laughs) we have it from somewhere else
0: and how does the state use the drinking water data And what are the consequences when the information is unreliable?
3: The data is reported out on a state website um, called Louisiana Drinking Water Watch, Uh, at least the bacterial contamination data as the chlorine is not. Um, It's also used to ensure compliance with federal regulations and to see if there have been any violations of those regulations as well. It's impossible to determine any of that without uh, reliable data.
0: We are speaking with Matt McBride, who reported that the New Orleans Sewerage and Water Board falsified water testing data in a recent investigation for the Louisiana Illuminator. So what has happened to these employees who didn't follow protocol? Were they fired, reassigned? We know the status
3: of three of them. Um, Two of them had previously left the agency for unrelated reasons before the uh, report was published by us. A third one was removed from sampling duty. Um, His status is currently not known, um, most likely under investigation. Uh, We don't know the statuses of the other two employees.
0: And how has the and Water Board responded to these allegations? Has the Department of Health stepped in or made any statements?
3: The Surgeon Water Board responded in an interview with our reporting partners at Fox 8 that they were instating uh, two measures to prevent similar occurrences in the future. One, that they were installing cameras in vehicles. This was a move that they had actually previously announced last month. The intent of the camera installation, according to publicly released documentation, was more to prevent uh, vehicle accidents and to help with employee security, uh, but they will be able to be used to ensure compliance in this case as well. The other measure that they announced was the instatement of random audits of the uh, sampling process. It's not clear whether those are just comparisons between data like we did, or if there will be actual in-person auditing done. The Asusian World does have their own internal audit department, and they recently hired a chief auditing officer, the first that they've had. LDH has announced that in response to our findings, they will be uh, launching an investigation
0: Well, now that this information may not be reliable, what happens next? Will the test be redone? Is there anything residents can do to test their water quality? Uh,
3: Since the water's already flown through the system, there's no way to redo the sampling. All they can do is ensure the sampling is of the highest integrity going forward. Um, Residents could conceivably test their own systems for chlorine. Um, There is Uh, equipment available, but it's rather expensive. Um, As far as microbial testing, that's only to be done at a certified laboratory, um, not at home.
0: Matt McBride is an investigative reporter. You can read more about his investigation in the Louisiana Illuminator. Matt, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. What's being billed as a multi sensory musical experience may help aspiring musicians to hit a high note as the nonprofit Notes for Education North Shore, based in Slidell, presents its first Twilight Symphony. The outdoor candlelight concert features the Baton Rouge based Pan String Quartet. And joining me with all the details is Notes for Education North Shore co founder Don Thanars. Welcome to Louisiana Considered.
4: Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure and a blessing to be here with you today.
0: Tell me, how did the idea for Twilight Symphony come about?
4: Well, we hosted up until the COVID epidemic, uh, the Slido Jazz and Blues Festival. Well, obviously, because of the pandemic, we were unable to host a jazz festival. And so we started to really put our heads together and think about the next thing, and that is this Twilight Symphony.
0: So tell us more, what is the focus of Notes for Education North Shore? How does it encourage students to pursue their musical ambitions?
4: Well, our mission is to foster and promote the academic and social development of our youth through music education and the performing arts. We do that by soliciting for uh, instruments, get instruments donated. We ensure that those instruments are are repaired, uh, fully constituted, and we give those back to the schools for the kids to have access to, to be able to utilize. We also provide grants and scholarships for our youth so that they can encourage them and and they can pursue their ambitions in music.
0: Now, what's been the program's success rate? Can you tell us one of your success stories?
4: Well, one of our success stories is probably the Biggie Brass Band. They were a group of ninth graders that started out with us with the Slido Jazz and Blues Festival. Many of those kids are currently Pursuing music, we have a couple of that are getting their degrees in music, one getting a degree in education, but they still perform. Their big band still performs throughout the North Shore and actually in the South Shore as well.
0: Now, what will music lovers experience at the Twilight Symphony concert?
4: It's going to be an awesome experience. It's, it's, it's just going to be fabulous when they come in. And I don't want to kill the thunder because it's something you really need to see and experience. We're going to have a candlelit pool area. It's going to be well decorated. It's going to be off the chain.
0: <laughs> Tell us about the Pan Quartet. Who are they and what will they play?
4: They're going to play several selections and some popular music as well. They're based, as you mentioned, out of the Baton Rouge area. In fact, the co-founder of the Pan Quartet are both educators, educated at Juilliard School in New York. They're professional musicians. They have over 30 years of experience. And I was just looking, I just reached out through several uh, portals to identify the musics in certain genres and they popped up on the screen, and we started to communicate. They sent me a list of, of, of their, you know, repertoire, and uh, I just thought it was a good fit.
0: And I understand that the violinist with the group or with the Baton Rouge Symphony.
4: Yeah, these are professional, first-class musicians.
0: And what are we likely to hear?
4: You will probably hear some Bach. There's going to be a lot of popular music as well as, like I say, some some classical music as well.
0: Now, how will this concert? help to further your goals. What is your hope for aspiring musicians?
4: Well, one, we promote the performing arts. So it's an opportunity for, in this case, adults, parents, to see performing artists, gain an appreciation for all types of other types of music. The monies that we generate from this event will help us reconstitute instruments, help us provide the grants, and actually award uh, additional scholarships.
0: And these scholarships are for?
4: Graduating seniors that are going to pursue uh, a career in, in, in music, music education, or the performing arts.
0: So this is helping them to get a leg up to further their education.
4: Yes. In fact, one of our past recipients, uh, and I, I, we fully expect that she will be a Grammy nominee one day, Grace Russell. She graduated a it was a year, maybe two ago, from uh, Mandeville High School, and uh, she writes her own music. She's a very talented singer, and she plays guitar as well. So she's just all-around musician. Uh, and then there's another artist we founded a few years ago, Chris Stone Kingfish, and he's a guitarist, and he has obviously made a name for himself. And he performed for our Jazz and Blues Festival on two occasions. So again, we go out and identify local talent. We try to give them an avenue to obviously show that their talent to the public and give them an atmosphere to kind of grow in this environment and develop their craft because you never know where they're gonna be five, 10 years from now.
0: Don Thanars, co-founder of Notes for Education North Shore.
4: Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you much.
0: Notes for Education North Shore presents the Twilight Symphony Featuring the Pan String Quartet, Friday, November 17th, 6 p.m. at the Pinewood Country Club patio, 405 Country Club Boulevard in Slidell. More info is online at northshorefoundation.org slash notes for education. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. You know the saying, if the month has an R in it, that means it's oyster season. And now that it's November, maybe you're eating more oysters at your favorite Louisiana seafood joints. A lot of these oysters are grown off of Grand Isle, Louisiana, and there are more headed our way. For Where You Eat, New Orleans food writer Ian McNulty has more.
5: At more raw bars now, it's possible to slurp down oysters side-by-side that are from Louisiana that taste markedly different from each other, but that were grown practically a stone skip apart in local waters. There's a good chance oysters you're eating like these were grown off of Grand Isle, and more of them are headed our way. This is a different oyster from the reef-harvested Louisiana traditional variety. They're often listed on menus by their geographic names or their brand names, denoting a specific farm. That's why at places like Sidecar Patio and Oyster Bar downtown, or Five's Oyster Bar in Jackson Square, or even now good old Cooter Browns in the Riverbend, you'll find oysters with names like Brightside or Little Moons. They're often called AOC oysters, and that stands for Alternate Oyster Cultivation. That means an oyster grown from seed in enclosures that float on the surface, as opposed to oysters grown on reefs and raked up from the bottom. This gives the oyster producer a more active hand in cultivating, adjusting for water conditions and even pulling them out entirely if a hurricane threatens. The process produces flavors that can vary from umami-rich to mineral-crisp, with a plump, robust saltiness that endures even in summer. They look different, too, with thinner, lighter-colored shells formed as they roll around in the current. This type of oyster farming has long been standard practice along the East and West Coasts, but it's still relatively new along the Gulf Coast. Recently, Grand Isle has become a hotbed for production for the Louisiana iteration of these, and more waters are now being designated for their growth here. All of this remains a boutique subset compared to the immense overall Louisiana oyster business. But that's an industry that's contending with the environmental impacts of climate change, land loss, and the coastal restoration projects aimed at blunting it. Some see AOC oysters as a way to adapt and diversify. For Louisiana oyster lovers, the upshot can be an iced platter offering a one-plate tour of different Louisiana flavors, and perhaps a taste of the future. For WWNO, I'm Ian McNulty.
0: From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Thanks to our guest, reporter for Verite News, Josie Abugov, reporter for the Louisiana Illuminator, Matt McBride, and co-founder of Notes for Education North Shore, Don Thaynars. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our assistant producer is Aubrey Procell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcast. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.